Welcome to the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. Our pilgrim. Uh, and you, you're on a pilgrimage to visit home, France and Europe. Yeah. And I just came back from America where I saw all of you who are here, the three of you I'm looking at, and uh, so many other folks. And I thought that today we would read a diary of. Master Dogen's pilgrimage to China. But to, to tell you the truth, my pilgrimage was easy compared to Master Dogen. Uh, the worst I had to deal with was some trouble with weather and nothing life-threatening. Master Dogen, on the other hand, when he had trouble with weather, he was on a ship, and uh, according to the stories, the ship... Uh, it's some big storms. Master Dogen uh, was uh, on a point of life and death all to get to China, which wasn't like today where you just get on an airplane. I think it took weeks to make the crossing. Uh, in my case, the worst I had to deal with were some late trains. Now, this fellow over here, Kakunin, has been walking up across parts of Shikoku in the heat the rain with no money of the 88 temples he got up to number 18 and then he decided to come here to temple 18 and a half that's my harry potter reference you get it temple 18 and a half you're a harry potter fan you, you like harry potter harry potter you don't know okay all right well this uh, uh, reading we're going to do um, from Master Dogen's journal is a little mysterious for many reasons. One reason is this journal, it is said, was not found until uh, years after Master Dogen had died. They found it in a temple called uh, Hokyoji, which means something like blessed or joyous treasure temple. Uh, it was found by one of his disciples uh, Kohn, uh, no relation, I'm Cohen, that was Kohn, and uh, thus it's called the Hokyoki, but it's not clear when Dogen wrote it, it's not clear, clear why Dogen wrote it. He might have written it, written it actually when he was in China, but in all likelihood, he wrote it years later, maybe at the end of his life, for various reasons, to tell the story of his years finding a teacher in China. Uh, it's not talked about so much as the subject of Dharma talks, but I thought I would do it for a simple reason. It's a whole grab bag of the teachings of Dogen's teacher, uh, Rujin Zenji. And 
Dogen's teacher was very, uh, of course, special in Dogen's life. Rujing Sensei was the Rujing Ru, Ru Zenji was the, the the true joyous treasure in Dogen's life. But you'll see that many of the teachings here, related by Rujing in China, some of which impressed Dogen and formed his Zen when he came back to Japan, some of which he may have changed, and most importantly, some of which we need not agree with now. This is a document that was written supposedly in the 1220s. Here we are, almost in the 2020s, almost. And we have to ask about whether all these teachings are something we necessarily have to believe in 100%. It's such a mixture of teachings here that I thought we'd say that some of them will be of incredible beauty and power to us, some of which may be a little silly, some of which we decide to keep, some of which we've decided to change, some of which Dogen decided to keep, some of which Dogen decided to change. But it's a lovely story of Dogen's time in China. Now, according to the original legend, Dogen was a young man who saw his mother die at a young age. His father, who was a nobleman, uh, maybe Dogen wasn't the illegitimate son of a famous uh, Fujiwara nobleman during the period and had trouble with his father. Yeah, everyone's got trouble with their fathers, huh? And he saw his mother die at a young age. And when searching, he went and became a monk in Tendai Buddhism, which is a very philosophical school of Zen in China and Japan. But they also meditate. They have a great Zen influence amongst all the philosophy, too. And it left him with the question that if we are already Buddha, and as it said, already enlightened, why do we have to practice? That was the reason he went to China in the first place. Um, and we'll see in later pages, not today. We're, we're going to do this, I think, over a few months, that he came to his answer. But one of the things that's interesting in the story, little known about Dogen, did you know Dogen was a Rinzai monk? And probably inherited a Rinzai lineage? And according to some of the Ketsumiyaku, there were two lines to Dogen. There's a Rinzai line and a Soto line. Did you know that? Yes. You didn't know Dogen was a Rinzai monk? He went from the Tendai monastery yeah, yeah, yeah. to uh, become a Rinzai priest and then went to China, first went around to various Rinzai priests. Yeah, I know. And then found... Master Rujing, who was a Soto or Saodong priest in China. Saodong. Rujing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I have it right there for you if you want to read. So our uh, blood lineage chart that many of you received at your Jukai or ordination only has the Soto line. Some Soto schools put both the Rinzai line and the Soto line. I believe the Deshimaru lineage in, in Germany includes both. But anyway, let's read this. Master Dogen's story in his own words. As translated by Tanahashi Sensei. I wrote to Master Rujing shortly before I met him. When I was young, I aroused the aspiration for enlightenment. 
and visited various monasteries in my country, Japan. I had some understanding of the principle of cause and effect. However, I was not able to clarify the real source of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. I was only seeing the outer forms, the marks and names, you know, the superficial aspects. Later, I entered the chamber of Asai, Zen Master Senko, a great Rinzai master, one of the first great Rinzai masters of Japan, and for the first time heard the teaching of the Linji school, the Rinzai school. Now I have accompanied monk Myozen, another Rinzai priest, to the flourishing kingdom of Sung, China. After a voyage of many miles, during which I entrusted my phantom body to the billowing waves, I have finally arrived and have entered your Dharma assembly. This is the fortunate result of my wholesome roots from the past. Compassionate teacher, even though I am only a humble person from a remote country, the, the Chinese consider the Japanese basically barbarians. And according to the story, they wouldn't even let Dogen off the boat for several months because his paperwork was wrong. He didn't have the right visa, so he had to stay on the boat. And then when the Japanese monks came to China, many times they had the wrong precepts. You know, the Chinese monks were the Vinaya monks. They took the 256 precepts. The Japanese monks only took uh, the smaller Bosatsu uh, Kai the Bodhisattva precepts. So sometimes the temples didn't want to let the Japanese in in China. They said, you're not a real priest, you're a lay person. But finally, he, this uh, Rujing says, I don't, care your, I don't care who you are. You come. Isn't that what all our good teachers do? My teacher did that to me. I think I did that to you three guys. I said, don't care who you are, handsome or ugly. Well, I know you're good. So I did care some. Anyway, I am asking permission to be a room-entering student. That means someone who can come in and do dokusan with you. Able to come and ask questions freely and informally. Impermanent and swift, birth and death is the issue of utmost urgency. Time does not wait for us. Once a moment is gone, it will never come back again, and we're bound to be full of regret. In other words, time's a wasting. It's a precious opportunity we have right now to practice. Great, compassionate Reverend Abbot, grant me permission to ask you about the way, about the Dharma. Please, I bow to you 100 times with my forehead humbly touching the floor. You know, this is hard for many Westerners, especially Americans, all this bowing. We do in Japan. Today I was supposed to do sampai, but I'm not feeling so well in my back. So I did one sampai and two standing bows. Uh, but uh, really in Zen, there's a lot of bowing. The Koreans bow 108 times, you know. This is an Asian custom, and it should not be so strange. Any fans here of Lord of the Rings or uh, Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones, they're always bowing, you know. In the old days, people would bow, you know, to the king, you know. So it's hard for us Westerners to think, but bowing is just a sign of respect. So he bowed a hundred times to Ru Jing. Ru Jing wrote back, sent him an email perhaps. 
Yes, you can come informally to ask questions. Anytime, day or night from now on, just drop on in. Do not worry about formality. We can be like father and son. And he signed it, Old Man of Mount Tybo. That's where uh, his temple was located. And then the story continues. On the second day of the seventh month of the first year of the Bouching Era, 1225, I entered the abbot's room and asked, nowadays in many places they talk about transmission outside the teaching. They call this the essence of Bodhidharma's coming from India. How do you understand it? This is the question, you know, about whether we should just burn the old sutras and give up books and study, and we should just sit zazen and we would be enlightened. You have to do a little studying for Buddhism to really understand it, you know. Not too much, not too little. You read the book so you don't become prisoner of the book. If you just sit zazen without learning something, maybe it, it's like you're a potter, Daniela. If you don't put your hands on the pot and learn from your teacher, you're going to get just a lump of clay. Like I used to make ashtray when I was in kindergarten for my father. They'd give me clay, I'd go, it's finished. But the great potter, you need to know something, right? It's the same with Zazen. So that's what Jujing says, Rujing. The great road of Buddha ancestors is not concerned with inside or outside. Actually, whether it's inside or outside the sutras, the books. The reason they call it transmission outside the teaching is this. Although Kashapa, Matanga, and others have transmitted the teaching to China previously, in coming here from India, Bodhidharma brought the teaching to life and showed the craft of the way. This is why they call it transmission outside the teaching. But there aren't two Buddha Dharmas. Before Buddha Dharma arrived in China, there were practices, but no master to enliven them. After Bodhidharma came to China, it was as if an aimless people acquired a strong king who brought the land of the kingdom into order. By the time Bodhidharma came, there had been so many sutras and teachings and commentaries that had poured into China. They had libraries full, sometimes very conflicting, and it was a very intellectual pursuit. Bodhidharma just taught them to transcend, koiru, to transcend the teachings and thereby brought harmony to all this. I asked, nowadays elders of different monasteries say that only direct experience without discrimination, hearing the unhearable and seeing the unseeable is the way of Buddha ancestors. So they hold up a fisk or a whisk. They shout, cuts! or beat people with sticks. This kind of teaching doesn't do anything to awaken students. In other words, if it became very fashionable in China to so much transcend words that people would draw a circle in the air or just hold up their stick or slap someone. By the way, Dogen sometimes did this too. There were times to go beyond words and he would just draw a circle in the air in answer to a question, or he would throw his stick on the ground. Dogen did this too. The point is that's not the only thing to do. There's a time beyond words, a time to study some words, you see. And Rujing said, uh, wait a second, Dogen continued. Furthermore, 
These teachers don't allow students to inquire about the essentials of the Buddha's guidance, and they discourage practices that aim to bear fruit in future birth. Are these teachers, teach, teachers really teaching the way of Buddha ancestors? Some of these teachers, when they talk about the absolute and throw down their stick, they would say, it's all absolute. Don't worry about future birth. Don't worry about karma. Karma is just a dream. And Rujing said, to deny that there are future births is nihilism. Buddha ancestors do not hold to nihilistic views of those who are outside the way. If there is no rebirth, there is no present birth. We know this present birth exists. How could it be that the next birth doesn't also exist? Now, you can take this literally, that he's saying that you must believe that when we die, we come back as future creatures. Many modern teachers, such as myself, say we're always reborn. But the point is this, very important. Don't think that when you discover the absolute, you're no longer responsible for your actions. You've heard me say before that when you discover the absolute, for example, there's no killing, no one to be killed. There's no stealing because there's nothing to be taken. It's all washed away in a great peace. He's saying, not true. Even when you discover the absolute, you're responsible for your actions. You're responsible for your karma. Don't think that the only point of Zen is to re realize something where all right and wrong is thrown away. Even when you discover this, there's still right and good and wrong and bad, which I usually define as actions which harm you and harm others are bad. Actions good for you, good for others are good. In your life, please know which actions in your life are good for you and other people, which actions are bad for you and other people. We Buddhists also know that you and other people are not separate too. Anyway, getting back to Rujing. We have been followers of the Buddha for a long time. How can we hold views that are outside the way of Buddha? To teach students the power of the present moment as the only moment is a skillful teaching of Buddha ancestors. But this doesn't mean that there is no future result from practice. Believe there is no future result of practice that you won't study with teachers and Buddhas won't emerge in this world. Just listen to what I'm saying here and realize it for yourself. We must continue to strive to be better. We must continue to work to be like Buddha, who is this perfect being that we fall short of, but we always work to be like that. Buddha represents everything good, everything gentle, everything peaceful. We human beings sometimes fall short, but we must never stop to do our best to head in that direction. If you want a good life, that's my advice to you. You know how many people in this world are filled with anger and greed and jealousy, hurting other people and also hurting themselves? Just don't be that way. Know the effects of your actions. 
So, Rujin continues, if you believe there is no future result of practice, then you won't study with teachers and Buddhas won't emerge in the world. Just listen to what I'm saying and realizing, realize it for yourself. If you do not have trust in future results and so do not practice the way of enlightenment, we would be like people from the world of Uttarakuru. I had to look that up. These are people who have such a joyous, bountiful life that they feel that they don't have to worry about the effects of their actions. In this world, nothing can go wrong. But in this human world where we live, many things can go wrong. Much of that up to you. In that world, no one can ever receive the Buddha's guidance and no one is ever awakened. I asked, I, Dogen, teachers in the past and present talk about inherent knowledge. They liken it to a fish drinking water and immediately knowing whether it's warm or cold. Awakening is this kind of knowledge, they say, and this is itself enlightenment. I don't understand this. If inherent knowledge is correct awakening, then all sentient beings will automatically become completely enlightened Tathagatas. That's uh, the thus come one, Buddhas. Because all sentient beings already do have this kind of knowledge, some people say this is how it is, that all sentient beings really are beginningless original Tathagatas. Others say the sentient beings are not necessarily Tathagatas. I'm pronouncing it wrong. Tathagatas. They say that only those sentient beings who become aware of their inherent wisdom are Tathagatas, and those who are not aware of it are not. Are any of these theories correct, Dharma or not? This is the question I meant that drove Dogen. It is said that we are already Buddha. We are already perfect. We are already enlightened. All we need to do is just realize that fact and we're done. Or, if we don't realize that fact, does that mean we're not Buddha? It was a mystery to him. How could we be already Buddha, already perfect, with nothing to achieve, and yet we don't see ourselves or feel ourselves that way? Rujing said, those who say that sentient beings are already Buddhas are really professing a belief in spontaneous enlightenment. This view is not at all in accord with the way. To equate I with Buddha is, no, is to mistake unattainment for attainment and unenlightenment for enlightenment. You can take this many ways, but as I like to say, we are already Buddha. But if we don't act like it, what's the point? We're not. You are not Buddha because you is a small being in a very imperfect world. And at the same time, you are Buddha, which is something that transcends all this. It's both true. And when you act gently and you act kindly, you can help realize that fact in your life. And when you act small and you act ugly, the Buddha is far, far away. You don't have to worry about that, you guys. I think you're both nice people. So, but we can all be better. Okay.
I, Dogen asked, when we students practice the way, how should we cultivate the mind in the midst of ordinary activity while walking, sitting, standing, and lying down? In other words, we all sit zazen. Ru Jing was the teacher who first introduced uh, Dogen to what became Shikantaza. And yet he says, Dogen says, you know, it's not just about sitting. We have to get up and live. So how do we cultivate the mind in the midst, not just of sitting zazen, but in all our daily ordinary activity while walking, standing, sitting, lying down, everything we do. Now, this is a very practical advice for us, even here in the busy 21st century. Rujing said, when Bodhidharma came from India, the body and mind of Buddha Dharma truly entered China. Here are some things to pay attention to when you first undertake Dharma study. Practical advice, folks. Practical advice. <clears throat> Don't spend a long time sick in bed. Good advice. If you have a choice about it, I suppose. Don't travel far away. I don't know. I just came from America. Dogen just came from China. And Dogen, by the way, wrote, what's the point of going to far off distant lands? Buddha Dharma is everywhere. But all, then he got on a boat, almost drowned, came to China just to have some guy say, don't travel much. Actually, with my jet lag today, it's actually pretty good advice. Don't read or chant too much. He didn't say, by the way, just two pages back, he said, don't not read, don't not chant, all the Buddhist monks chant. He just said, don't do it too much. Don't do it too much. Okay. Don't argue too much. He didn't say don't argue. He said, don't argue too much. You disagree? No, I'll You sure? Yeah. You want to fight about it? No. no? Okay. <laughs> don't overwork. Yeah. But at the same time, Dogen and all monastics said, you got to work. On Taiji, where they have you cutting trees and digging holes, remember? You know, hard work, right? Yeah. Kakunin, yeah. You were in great shape, man. You're still in good shape with all the muscles, right? But they said, don't overwork. Don't eat leeks and onions. Sorry, uh, Kyonin, did, did you serve leeks and onions during our... Sazenkai and Sefer. No, the, the point was, uh, in those days, they believed it was a stimulant and even an aphrodisiac. It would stimulate the blood to, to eat too many onions. Plus, I suppose if you're living in the monastery and the guy next to you, well, you, you understand. Okay. Don't drink too much milk or honey. Don't drink alcohol. Don't eat impure foods. That's up to how you define it. When I was in America, I had every possible diet. I had the vegan diet. I had the vegetarian diet. I had people who couldn't eat gluten. And then I went to someone else and they said, we're on the caveman diet. All you can eat is meat. I was, my body was very confused, but whatever. Everybody has their own definition here. Don't eat impure food. The, the Buddhists uh, tended to restrict certain foods. Don't listen to singing or music. In modern terms, don't watch too much Netflix. 
Don't watch dancing women. Don't look at mutilated bodies. Ugh. Don't look at pornography or talk about sex. Well, if you're a monk in a monastery, I guess that's a good idea. Don't be intimate with kings or ministers. You know, don't hang around the powerful. They corrupt you. you know. Don't eat raw or unripe foods. Don't wear filthy clothing. Don't visit slaughterhouses. Don't drink aged tea or take medicines for mental disease like those they sell at Mount Tendai. I, I, I'm sure he didn't mean like what your doctor gives you. I meant, you know, he meant the cheap medicine that people hand out on the streets. Don't eat fungi. Don't pay any attention to matters of fame and fortune. Good advice. Don't be associated with eunuchs or hermorphodites. You know, in these days, it wasn't about sexuality. And there are many people maybe who are um, of uh, various mixed sexual uh, orientations and, and physical um, structure. But in those days, that meant, I think, entertainers mostly were the eunuchs and hermorphodites in those days. Don't eat too many dried plums. It's kind of a mixed list, is it not? Or chestnuts. Chestnuts out. Don't eat too many longans, lychee nuts, or olives. Don't have too much sugar or candy. Hey, Kionin, how mm -hmm. Rujing agrees with you. All right. Mm -hmm. Don't wear quilted clothes, but wear only plain cotton clothes. Don't eat dry food for soldiers. Don't pay attention to shouting and loud noises or watch herds of pigs and sheep. I don't know what it is about watching herds of pigs and sheep, but don't do it. Don't stare at big fish. Who posted the thing about the whale? See? Okay. The ocean, bad pictures, hunchbacks, or puppets. Instead, look at mountains and streams. Nature has always been good for Zen monks. Okay, let's go a, a little quickly here. Illuminate the mind with ancient teachings and read sutras that contain complete meanings. You see, he said, read a little, read a little, before he said, don't read. Monks who practice Zazen should always have clean feet. Very mixed. You know, when they made these lists in a long time, they kind of, you know, they put the sutra next to the pigs and then the feet. Anyway, if you're going to be in the monastery, don't eat onions and have clean feet. I think it's very practical advice. When the body and mind are confused, chant the beginning of the text called the Bodhisattva Precept. Then I asked, what text is that? It's what the Japanese monk Ruzen has been chanting. Don't associate it with, don't associate it with small-minded people. Ruzen was another monk from Japan who happened to be at this monastery the same time Dogen was there. He was chanting the Bodhisattva's uh, precepts, which are the precepts uh, it's from the Bomonkyo, it's the origin of the precepts that later became Dogen's precepts, which we take during Jukai and uh, Tokudo. So he said, don't associate with small-minded people. I said, who are small-minded people? And Rujing said, those who are full of greed. Okay. Then Rujing said, don't keep tigers or elephants. And I do not to this day, for that reason, own any elephants. But, he said, don't keep pigs, dogs, cats, or badgers. I'm sorry. I'm a cat guy. Rujing, I'm sorry. <laughs> Nowadays, elders in many monasteries keep cats. 
Hmm. This is definitely going to be the part where I cannot agree with Rujing. This is really unacceptable. Stupid people do this. The 16 nasty habits are prohibited by Buddha ancestors. Do not get accustomed to them. I am keeping my cat. I asked Rujing, lay people read the Surangama Sutra and the Complete Enlightenment Sutra and say that these are the ancestral teachings transmitted from India. When I open up these sutras and observe their structure and style, I felt that they are not as skillful as other Mahayana sutras. Let me give you a little background on this. The Surangama Sutra is to this day one of the most prized sutras in Buddhism. And the other sutra also, uh, the complete Enlightenment Sutra, is very cherished. However, Dogen did not care for them. And Dogen and Rujing, as we'll see, suspected that they were not written in India. They were actually composed in China. As we know, most of the Mahayana Sutras were written way after the time of Buddha. But some of them came from India. And some of them were created by authors in China. Now, you know, we might say that that doesn't matter. If someone is speaking words even centuries after the Buddha and the words are truth, then they are still the Buddha's words. But Rujing and Dogen were always suspicious about these two sutras. And you know what? Centuries later, about uh, 50 years ago, scholars came to the conclusion that they were right. These sutras were, in fact, not from India. They were made in China. So they nailed it. And as you see, Dogen didn't like these sutras. What does this prove? You don't have to. The sutras are all contradictory. Not everything in every sutra has to speak to you. When I'm reading this, not everything here has to speak to me. In this case, we're going to hear why Dogen and Rujing did not care for these two sutras. This seems strange to me. More than this, the teachings of these sutras seem to be far less than what we find in other Mahayana sutras. They seemed quite similar to the teachings of the six outsider teacher, teachers who lived during the Buddhist time. These are six philosophers who are considered to be outside uh, our Buddhist way. They lived during the Buddhist time. One was a materialist. One was a, what is a person who only seeks pleasure. And anyway, what Dogen is saying was that he thought the philosophy in the book was wrong. How do we determine whether or not these texts are authentic? And Rujing said, the authenticity of the Surigaba Sutra has been doubted by some people since ancient times. Some suspect that the sutra was written by people of a later period, as the early ancestors were definitely not aware of it, but ignorant people in recent times read it and love it. The Complete Enlightenment Sutra is also like this. Its style is similar to the Surigama Sutra. In other words, they were sutra critics themselves. They did not take everything just because it was in a book and written down. They said, this sutra is the one I believe. This other sutra does not speak to me. I just want to say that. To this day, in Chan Buddhism in China, the Surigama Sutra is very prized. Even Dogen would quote from it sometimes, but he always had his doubts about it. 
Okay, just going on quickly. Dogen asked, can the negative results that come from delusion, external conditions, and karma really be the path of Buddha ancestors? <coughs> As Nagarjuna's teachings say. Rujing said, you should always trust teachings by ancestors like Nagarjuna. Their views are never mistaken. As far as the negative effect of karma goes, one should... <coughs> excuse me. My cough is probably my karma. <coughs> one should practice wholeheartedly and it will certainly be turned around. In other words, if I interpret this correctly, all your mixed up, confused life, all the bad things you did in the past, all the bad things that happened to you in the past, all the confusion of present times, all the mixed up delusion, external conditions and karma of where you find yourself in this crazy world, that's precisely where you need to practice. That's precisely what you need to practice with to find enlightenment. If you were like those people in the world I mentioned where everything goes right and they have not a care in the world, you would have nothing to practice. Your mixed up, messed up, uh, deluded life with all its problems is precisely where you need to practice. You should be grateful for every problem, for every difficult person in your life, for everything that ever went wrong in your past or is going to go wrong tomorrow. This is where you need to practice. Be grateful. It's not just sitting zazen. Every time something goes wrong, this is your chance to turn it around, to see through it to make it some treasure, something good. So he said, as far as the negative effect of karma goes, one should practice wholeheartedly, and it certainly will be turned around. So I asked, so should we always be aware of cause and effect of karma? And Rujing answered, you should never ignore cause and effect. Yongja said, superficial understanding of emptiness ignores cause and effect and invites calamity. Those who ignore cause and effect cut off good roots in Buddha Dharma. How can you regard them as descendants of Buddha ancestors? This is the same point he made before. Just because you realize emptiness and you think your actions, there's nothing wrong we can do. We're already Buddha. You misunderstand. Your actions now, good and bad, are vital. This is your real practice. Do not ignore karma. Just because you realize emptiness where there is no right and no wrong does not mean you should not live with right and wrong, good and bad. Do not ignore karma. And in this way, all the badness, all the ignorance in the world can be turned through your goodness. It really can. It's hard to explain that. But I've been in many, many ugly situations in life where people around me were really acting poorly. But if my heart was pure, somehow I could see through the situation. But I don't want to go off the topic so much. We're running short of time. So last one here. Why is it that nowadays elders everywhere keep long hair and long nails? Uh-oh. Uh, I'm in trouble again. Um. In China at the time, the, the monks started really growing their hair long, like really hippies, and growing nice beards. There's a lot, especially the Rinzai masters. The Dogen was always uh, like you. Uh, you'll see Kakunin later. He's a real skinhead here, just 
Baldy. This is the Japanese way and some priests in China. And actually, if you look at the Buddha, you may notice the Buddha had hair on all the statues. A lot of the monks from Tibet have hair. A lot of the monks from China have short hair. Even a lot of Soto monks in Japan keep their hair now. A lot of the women monks in America keep their hair. A lot of men monks keep their hair as a symbol that we're in the world and not of the world. The real shaved head can have a little hair and still be shaved. It's strange, but if your heart is pure, it's not just a matter of shaving your head sometimes, according to present American views. When we had our nation ceremony, two of the women who took it uh, shaved their head. I forget what Koku did. I think he shaved. Uh, one person said, I want to keep the hair because of my life and work situation. I said, no problem. In your heart, it's shaved. But, Dogen said, why is it nowadays that elders everywhere keep long hair and long nails? They also would decorate their nails, you know, like, with color, the, the Chinese in that day. They call themselves monks, but look like lay people. Maybe we should call them lay people. And actually, they're nothing but bald-headed idiots. Dogen had a way with words sometimes. In the past, during the ages of true dharma and imitation dharma, disciples of Buddha ancestors in India and China were never like this. Now is, in other words, what he's saying, now is the age of uh, decadence. What do you make of it? And Rujing said, agreeing with Dogen, they are indeed ignoramuses, corpses in the pure ocean of Buddha Dharma. These guys knew how to throw around a little insult. I say to you, monks now, we are in the world but not of it. We are fathers and mothers and workers, and we are also priests. So sometimes you shave your head, sometimes you grow it a little long. Heck, I don't care if you look like a hippie, as long as your heart is pure. That's my personal view. And if Rujing and Dogen don't agree with it, well, tough. Okay. Any questions? Yeah, Shingen. First off, I will have two things. One, Rujing, I'm very sorry, but I'd like to look at big fish. <laughs> Secondly, also, it was interesting to hear that he said not to or not to listen or ignore um, small-minded people. And I think that that would be the opposite, that we would be wanting to help deluded people not be deluded. What do you think? I think he meant don't follow them. Mm, okay. Not, not, of course, you want to listen to them, but don't... Uh, uh, don't become their fans, I think is what he meant. Or don't become their students. Don't become Maybe that's how I meant. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Which, which you've listened to me now for an hour. You've already made that mistake. Okay. Next. Okay. Yes, Kionin. Thank you. It's not a question, but a comment. I think most of these ancient rules of taking care of the body and not eating this thing or that thing uh, are more about uh, practical things to have uh, a good life. Maybe there wasn't the um, same kind of science and knowledge we have today, but um, they had to uh, 
promote, uh, um, to take care of the body and mind by not eating uh, poisonous foods or sugars or, or too much candy because they knew that the, their health would be compromised. And maybe um, that became canon and that became then dogma and that's how it got to us as sacred things. Um, about onions, I think it has to do more that uh, in ancient Indian and Chinese medicine, onion is medicine, it's not food. So if you keep on eating um, onion, when you get sick, if you take onion as medicine, it wouldn't have any effect at all. So if you don't eat onion and when you're sick, you do eat onion, it would uh, serve its purpose. Here in Mexico, we eat onions like if they were apples. So that, that doesn't work here too much. But um, I think that's, that's the case. Um, it was more about practical things for daily life and taking care of the body. And then that became dogma. I, I agree with you. But I, I will still say in moderation, I'm going to continue to put onions in my pizza. And I'm keeping my cat. Okay. <laughs> any any question? All good? Okay. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast zazen, retreats, discussion, jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.